Kingway, Fox, Beardlock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Disco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Peter's cat, Kempak's cat, Q has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, November 2nd, 2023, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, right here in the United States of America, which, by the way, don't forget daylight saving time. On Sunday, we have to fall back. Remember, spring ahead, fall back, because we'd hate to have you guys miss a show because you forgot to change your clock. So don't forget that. Sunday, you need to fall back. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying welcome to Trek Talking. It's great to have you along. As of right now, we have 131,000. 478 downloads of this podcast. So thank you so much for making that happen. If you've missed any of our shows, the easiest way to find them is to go visit trektalking.com and you'll find all kinds of fun stuff over there, including a little blue talkback mic in the bottom right-hand corner. You can click on that mic and you can leave us a message and we will play it on the very next show. And we would love to hear from you guys. I'm being joined by my awesome Trek experts, and we'll start off with Charles, who's over in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. We finally got fall weather. Which means we're down wow. in the 70s finally. Wow, only the 70s, uh, huh? Only the 70s. Well, that's our highs. We do drop. About uh, 50 or just below 50 in the morning, which means it's a little chilly and a little dark. Hell, that's shorts and T-shirt weather, for God's sakes, Um, here in Vermont. Maybe for you. Anyway, (laughs) only for us. Anyways, we also have my trifecta, my triple play out in Portland. We have, we'll start off with our very own donut guy, and of course I'm talking about David, how you doing tonight, David? Kind of depressed, to be honest. I'm no a little sad that no, it's not that I have donuts, <laughs> of course. But <laughs> of it's, course, it's the fact that the, this is the last episode of Lower Decks. I'm so sad. No, no, we have, we have, no, no, no. Next week, we have one more week. We're 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 in the time warp. It's just oh, a okay. jump to the left. You know, well, okay, t- I'll be depressed next the week. <laughs> <laughs> Put your hands on your hips. <laughs> and let your backbone slide. Oh, my That's God, don't right. get me started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have one more week, David, so you don't have to get depressed just yet. 
Okay. So that's cool. But you're right. The episode that's on right now tonight is the final episode, episode 10 <laughs> of Lower Death. But we won't be talking about that until next week. So cool. You can you can revel and enjoy it for the last week. <laughs> Maybe I'll keep my today donut for next week donuts. Yeah, keep, a, keep the mm. peanut butter and jelly donut for next week. <laughs> week old donut. <laughs> donut. And also, from Portland, we have our very own toy guy, Paul. How you doing? Hey, Uncle Jim. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, I, I really think that uh, it's been an interesting week. Um, I really think there's only one word that can describe how I'm feeling this week, friends. And that word is frisky. Uh, so, so I'm just not, uh, not let, letting it be known. Uh, expect friskiness. Expect the unexpected. I like expect it. All manner of shenanigans. Anything can happen. And it probably will. Well, that's our best call, I think. Live radio, (laughs) and there are so many to choose from. (laughs) (laughs) Who will we get tonight? I don't know. (laughs) And wrapping up my triple play from Portland, we have the one, the only, Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, Jim, I am ready to have some fun. Maybe there's something in the air here in Portland. Maybe there's like nitrous oxide floating over northeast Portland or something, because I'm kind of feeling the same way. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've spent most of my afternoon trying to figure out how to grow a third leg, because I now know that jippers are half priced for tripeds and muds on Thursday nights. <laughs> jippers? No, didn't. What, wasn't that the, the drink that Harry Mud was drinking on? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. Discovery tie-in, baby. Yep, on Discovery. That, they just kept saying that over and over and over again. Yeah, because uh, if Harry Mud would rather be anywhere, he'd rather be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere. That's and right. They, and, and, yep. and, yeah. And when they brought up the half-price jippers for tripeds, I was like, hmm, maybe I can grow the third leg tonight. Do you know what and the recipe is? Jipper. Can we make these? I, I assume that there is at least one uh, thing out there for the jipper, but I, I haven't personally done the research yet, Paul, but I, that sounds like a challenge. I'm exploring as we speak. How yeah. do you spell it? J-I-P-P-E-R-S. So well, there I'm you excited. go. We'll we'll have something for you later in the show, folks, on Jippers. <laughs> Jippers, Crippers. No, don't so, yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Eric, there's definitely something in the air up here in Vermont because we got snow. I know Ooh. it's hard to believe. We were marching in a Halloween parade, and it was an absolutely beautiful, couldn't ask for a better day, and now it's snowing. So Mother Nature is, like, all over the place. I think she's had too many jippers on the beach because she's crazy. <laughs> but at any rate, <laughs> oh, boy. and I got to tell you that, uh, you know, my, my buddy uh, who works with me, uh, Francis loves our theme song and he wants to memorize it so he can sing it at work because he loves it so much. Mm-hmm. He thinks you did just a great job with that theme song. So I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> so, guys, we always like to start off each show with our fan shout-outs. And that's where we say thank you to you personally. That's right, you right there, that guy, yep, you. And how do we know that you're listening? 
you just go to our Facebook page and you tell us and pinned right to the top of the page, you'll see the live long and prosper. And I'm just asking a simple question. Hey, where are you listening from? And you want to try to get my attention, you know, uh, because I read a lot of, a lot of posts on our Facebook page, hundreds, hundreds a day. So, uh, you know, you want to try to catch my attention, flags, emojis. Jim, are you saying emojis. that the listeners should put some kind of, like, uh, titillating or obscene, questionable photograph? Yeah, like, <laughs> like a, is that like what you're saying? A, a jipper or two might get my attention. Like a you know? yeah, yeah. Lime, rhymes with yeah. click pick or something like that? I don't yeah, know. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm hearing. I mean, I, you know, it's a, exactly it's a family program, you know. man. Come on. I mean, geez, he can't help himself. He's very transactional, Eric. Have you noticed? He is. He is. He is. It's yeah. all, you, it just yeah. depends on where you are and what you're doing, man. He's you got the load. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he's got the load. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, at any rate, uh, you can do that, and then you, if you see a heart <laughs> next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, you want to tune into the very next podcast because your name is going to be more Flying <laughs> through the universe of time, but everybody knows that you're not only a Star Trek fan but a listener of Trek Talk. And, and Eric, you want to get us started with our fan shout-outs for this week? Do I ever, I'm going to spin that globe around and end up in the, uh, presumably the most neutral of places in the world and saying hello in Switzerland to Yogi Fildas Sarakshadevi Jagi, who's saying hello to us and sending us a little Swiss flag there. So thank you for supporting us from that uh, most amazing place. Oh my gosh, the pictures that I have seen of your mountains and suchly around there or something else, I really hope to make it there one day. Uh, and I'm sure that it's it's likely the perfect place to practice uh, your discipline. So uh, namaste to you, and thank you for saying hello to us. Also saying hello this week to Demian Kedoff Lau, who's saying hello to us from South Africa, way down at the tip of the continent. Damien, thank you so much for saying hello to us, and kapla to you. I'd also like to say hello this week to Lynette Clooney, Lunette Clooney is saying hello to us from New Zealand, sending us a little uh, New Zealand flag there. Lynette, thank you so much. You are so far away from us, and yet somehow we have something that unites us, which I think is pretty cool. And thank goodness for the Internet, right? (laughs) Seriously, thanks for saying hi. And last but not least on my list, I'd like to say hello this week to Florentine Gierce, who's saying hello to us from Bielefeld, Germany. Florentine Thank you so much for saying hello to us right from the middle of Europe right there. Uh, I have family history in your great country, actually planning a little trip there uh, presently, so can't wait to go. We'll have to see where Bielefeld is. Maybe I could swing on by. Uh, Charles, I'm going to spin this globe back over to you, brother. Would you like to take over? I sure would. Let's do a greetings to Roberta Ann from Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. Gives a happy face and a jack-o'-lantern. Welcome to Lori L. Simpson from Texas. Top fan, Marvin Demarion from Virginia. Welcome, Marvin. And a welcome to Andy Edwards from Los Angeles, California. Welcome. Need to get found an excuse to get back to Los Angeles. David, who's on your list? 
Yeah, so let's play Spin the Globe, shall we? Um, I want to say welcome to Terry Henderson, Carlton from Texas. Also, I got a top fan here from Yvonne Hunter from Florida, USA. Uh, next on the list is a big welcome to Frank Moser from Eugene, Oregon. I actually have a brother who lives up there in Eugene, Oregon. We love you, Eugene. <laughs> uh, last on my list is uh, Jody Bear from good old Pennsylvania, USA. All right, I'm going to spin the globe to Paul. Thanks, David. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah, we got all kinds of folks all over the planet because we are on a planet after all. And so it's great to know that there are numerous places where we have kindred spirits and like-minded friends uh, like fan Christine Cassidy, rocking the alliteration there, Christine, in London, UK, one of the most astonishing places on the planet where it is never a dull moment. Am I right, Christine? I think I'm right. Top fans are everywhere, but it's always amazing to know one who's uh, rocking it in good old London town. So thanks for being a Star Trek fan and for checking out our podcast. It's great to have you with us. Not too far away from Christine, we're going to look a little bit north towards beautiful Dublin, Ireland, where Dermot McMahon is hanging his hat. Great to hear from you, Dermot. I hope things are doing okay. I, I'm hearing that in the UK last night, uh, my people over there are telling me there were some pretty good storms going on. Uh, a little disturbing uh, reports that I've heard. I heard it was uh, Channel Islands got like uh, something like uh, Cornwall, 100 mile an hour winds last night. Pretty pretty Whoa. rough. So Jeez. hope you guys are all doing wow. okay. It sounds like there was a lot of... Uh, Crazy storm damage. Hopefully, you still have enough power to be able to check out the podcast or a good supply of batteries, one way or the other. But uh, uh, wishing you all there in the UK uh, that you are doing well and staying safe. It gets a little stormy this time of year over there. And I got another top fan I want to say hello to, uh, our good friend Mats Ansonsen in Sweden, signing in with that beautiful billowing Swedish flag that is high on my list of destinations I want to pay a visit to, Matt. So great to hear from you. Thanks for being an enthusiastic supporter of the United Federation of Planets, which we are all a member. And finally for me, it is our another top fan. We got them all over the place on this great old planet of ours, but it's uh, Jakob Kylar uh, saying hello from the Czech Republic. Uh, flag flying proudly. It is great to hear from you, Jakob. I hope things are good. I hope things are stable and uh, well there in the Republic and that you have a great fall and winter. And thanks for being one of our many international Star Trek fans. It is wonderful to hear from you all. Right, Uncle Jim? Absolutely, but we're not done yet. There's more. I would like to say thank you and kapwa to David Max Maxson, who says he's listening in the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota. I also want to say thank you to top fans Paul Pacific, who's listening to us in Toronto, Canada, our neighbors. And uh, by the way, we, we've heard top fan mentioned quite a bit in this segment. How does one become a top fan? Well, it's very simple. Just visit our Facebook page and participate. And one way you can do that is by answering the questions that I put up every Friday. I'll ask you guys to score an episode and you just participate and you can earn yourself top fan recognition. Very simple. I also want to say thank you and kapwa to Melissa LaRusso, who's listening to us in North K. 
Carolina. And last on my list, we want to say Corey, who's listening to us in Hastings, Minnesota. All right, guys, way, way, way back in the day when we first started this podcast, we went off, instead of having fans shout outs, because our Facebook page really didn't have enough fans to shout out to, what we would do is we would do our top cities and our top countries. Well, we don't have to do really do our top countries anymore because we do our fan shout-outs. But top cities is interesting. So what we're going to do is on the first show of each month, we're going to tell you guys. We're going to go through our top cities, and that is going to be Paul's segment. And uh, we'll come up with some catchy uh, music, something for that, to introduce that. But uh, we don't have that right now because we just <laughs> added it. Come on. In. So, come on, improv, uh, man. Do some know, we'll singing. Let's do it. <laughs> we'll come up with something. Uh, so in the meantime, da 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 da. <laughs> Here we go. Take it away, Paul. Ah, oh, thanks, brother. That's one of the things I love is I love the fact that this is a huge planet and there's people that live in every kind of place you could imagine, and they have different accents. They speak differently. Somebody from Texas is going to talk a lot different than somebody from London, for example. Crazy. I mean, everyone's just got this different thing, but we are all united. We're all sort of kind of human beings, right? And what unites all of us together is we all kind of really dig Star Trek and that hopeful, optimistic, uh, enlightened view of the future, which is pretty great. So I think that's a pretty cool thing to celebrate, and I'm thrilled that we get to acknowledge folks. So I don't know what the metrics are, if this is based in terms of like how many people uh, dial into the show or what those numbers are, but we got a, a little egg basket of 10 cities we want to celebrate that I believe have something to do with where there's a huge concentration of Star Trek fans and fans of this show. So you can hear your own theme music in the background here, and uh, I'm sure Eric and I will come up with some catchy international uh, Mm -hmm. theme music at some point, but you're going to get the raw and filtered version here tonight. So uh, if you're playing along at home for these top ten, there's a hidden pattern. I'd like to see if you can guess what it is. So concentrate, if you will. Put your fingertips up to your forehead, and I want you to just listen to the names of these places. And what pattern might you see yourself locating and emerging as we continue? Let's start with number 10. Number 10, we are talking, friends, about the Great Burg of San Antonio, Texas. That is right. Remember the Alamo, friends. It's true. And I got a particular fondness for San Antonio. Texas and I have a weird contentious relationship because sometimes there's folks there, like the governor of Texas, who you feel want to take away people's souls and rights and uh, maybe have them live in some kind of, I don't know, stockade where women are broodmares. I'm not sure, but I get that vibe from him. But not so much from San Antonio, where there's a lot more kind of enlightened perspective, what feels to me like a Star Trek city. People looking forward, looking upward. So San Antonio, I love you. I love you. Get the rest of your Texas brethren to come together as well. Number nine, this is a city that is one of the great American cities that there is, Chicago, Illinois. You will never go hungry in Chicago. I'm telling you. It's an Irish town. It's an Italian town. It's a pizza town. It's a sports town. It's a museum town. It's like Rome. 
Chicago is awesome. And Chicago fans of this show and of Star Trek, I salute you. You are absolutely out of control. Absolutely amazing people. Uh, I just think that uh, Chicago is a wonderful place. And, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with Elliot Ness or Al Capone. <laughs> just so that's part of your great history as well. But you're just the best. So good people. We love you in Chicago. We love you, Star Trek fans. And I hear you throw a heck of a convention as well, which maybe we should go visit sometime. Uh, you know, just just uh, for the you know benefits of research. <laughs> so we'll see. We may check you out in uh, person as well. Okay, what else we got going on here? Let's check out where other people could be on our list, shall we? I believe this brings us to number eight, and we have Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. If I'm not mistaken, there that is. Uh, Brisbane is pretty awesome. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly where Brisbane is. Uh, my geography is a little sketchy today because I'm feeling so frisky. But what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> so it's just, uh, well, I think it's, if memory serves, it's yeah. on the East Coast. I'm pretty sure it's like north yeah. of Sydney, if I remember. I'm pretty sure that's where it is. But, you know. You're right. You're right. It's north and of it's Sydney. And it's a shameless confession. Yeah, a shameless confession. I've never been to Australia. I've seen just about every movie about Australia ever made because I'm a big fan of it. And I just love the way that that country came into being. Bunch of exiles, you know, the whole, uh, you know, Khan Noonien Singh thing. Right. You know what I'm talking about. Mm. And my friends in Australia, they really like beer a lot. So <laughs> I kind of feel a lot of kinship with you, friends. And uh, I would find myself wondering what an Australia uh Star Trek convention would be like. I bet it's totally off the chain. But you know what? Here's a weird coincidence. Coming in at number seven, it's Adelaide, uh, Australia as well. Because, yes, we have another uh, Star Trek city that is in Australia. That is crazy. Uh, it's just absolutely nuts. There's so many people that live there. So, wow, folks, you have uh, nothing but love for Star Trek there in Australia. So let's jump on down to six. We are moving into number six. We're going way over to the other side of the planet. We are going to beautiful Toronto, Canada. And, wow, I think we better take our hats off, and we better really salute Toronto in a big way. Because not only is it one of the great cities in North America, it is absolutely amazing. It is a mecca. There's a lot of great things going on there. But super special, super special in our hearts. Toronto is where many Star Trek series are filmed and where a lot of their things get actually lensed and occur where the actors reside and things like uh, Discovery. And I believe near Toronto is where Strange New Worlds shoots yep. as well. I don't think they're in Toronto proper, but very nearby. I know for sure Discovery is there. And so, wow, Toronto, the Star Trek stories you have, uh, you will forever be a timeless Star Trek destination. That's all I know. So we love you. And Canada is just a great neighbor, or like an example for us to emulate, frankly. So thanks for being so cool and for showing us the way in an enlightened fashion, as Star Trek people should be. Coming in at number five, we have the absolutely fantastic mecca of Los Angeles, California, where we all love, because that is basically ground zero for all movie and theater production that there is that's not from somewhere else like in England. Uh, but uh, we love Los Angeles. It's absolutely amazing. And uh, so many, uh, the st tales of Star Trek are just endless. I don't know if you guys have been following this, but it's a crazy story. And I feel I should just mention it super briefly, uh, being vigilant towards time. But this is wild. I'm sure everybody's seen that famous picture of Gene Roddenberry sitting at his desk. And there's like a, you know, 
almost three foot size model of the Enterprise there. Well, that model was one of the shooting models. Of, it was lost forever. This week, it showed up in an eBay listing. Uh-huh. And then it was, I, th- I think probably everyone's heard of this, right, by now? Because it made a lot of news. You've heard of this, Eric, right? Yeah, you know? I was looking at it today. At first, I thought it was a lamp because it didn't have like a, it had been fitted with like kind of a weird base or something. I don't know. It, it's it a weird base, but it's just like, it's just, it looks weird from looked on front, right? But from the yeah. side and like the, the, the shots uh, that showed up on eBay, the consensus seems to be among you know top experts that, that this is a legit it thing, is, and it was sitting it in someone's thing. Los Angeles warehouse, Bing. right, until they passed away, and then oh. somebody opened it up after it's like you know Hannibal Lecter's garage, right? Classic. You don't know what's going to be in there. It's crazy. It was, no, it was found in an abandoned storage unit. There you go. And we should bid on new, it. Recent news is it has <laughs> been authenticated. Oh, it is really? the actual model from 1964. Wow. Well, I'm not going to tell anybody that I bought it off eBay, especially my wife. Uh, but uh, if I did, I certainly wouldn't tell anybody because it'd become a hot target right away. But uh, that's a great artifact and a very cool. So a lot of things uh, are waiting. There's always a lot of magic and mystery waiting to happen in Los Angeles. Coming in at number four, we've got Sydney, Australia. I'm getting a weird, familiar deja vu kind of a thing here. Wow, but I think, amazing. Uh, you know, uh, if I say to you, Eric, uh, 10 Wallaby West, uh, Sydney, what am I talking about? 10 Wallaby West Sydney. I don't know. I, that does not ring. I don't know. Sorry. I feel That's like I should That's the address from Finding Nemo. I think it's 10 oh, Wallaby West because it's okay. written down on the back of the guy's uh, uh, oh, yeah. ma- mask, his uh, scuba yeah. mask, right? I think yeah. I, I, you know, I'm probably misaddressing it because what are you going to do? It's live radio, friends. But we all know where <laughs> Sydney is with a beautiful, beautiful opera house that I think oh, you can see from space amazing. just south of Newcastle there, not too far from Canberra. But, uh, again, uh, just makes you want to travel, makes you want to get airfare, makes you want to fly 14 hours to go to Australia because there's so many cool things there. And as we're learning tonight, it is just chock-a-block overflowing with Star Trek fans. Pretty cool. Well, and Jim, you know, uh, Paul, we, we actually know for sure that uh, that opera house was actually designed after, uh, I believe, Kai Wen's headgear, if I'm not mistaken. Get the there you go. heck out of here. Seriously. <laughs> It's not reversed? They didn't design her headgear off the opera house? Well, either way, there is certainly correlation if there is not causation. Time travel. Wow. You you see you you're like one of these internet guys. You things see uh you know, uh you see things everywhere. I see dead people. I, I it's time for me to correct a, a previously misspoken thing. It's forty two Wallaby Way, Sydney. There we go. There we go. Like it. I don't like a malaprop to escape me and not correct it, but uh, that is uh, a wonderful cosmopolitan place. I think there's a few pubs there, too, from what I heard. And then in number three, oh, my God, the deja vu. I'm, my head is spinning. It's spinning because Melbourne, Victoria, <laughs> Australia wow. is also one of our top cities, which amazing. is amazing to consider. So what does that give us? Uh, wow. I mean, Melbourne is just a little perch, like on the southern tip, One, right? Two, I think three, if I'm not four. mistaken – you're, you're, you can see Tasmania, I think, from Melbourne because it's right in the south. And I'm pretty sure that we're yeah. talking some of the most shark-infested waters on the planet. Oh, yeah. I mean, like- total, like, you know, great white shark city, right? <laughs> Just out of control. So that's four Australian cities pattern hunters, if you were wondering, Amazing. in our top ten. So what does that tell you? That Australia deserves special, special, I'm hosting my pint of fosters in your general direction, mate, mm-hmm. because this is a place that is absolutely overflowing with Star Trek fans, and we love you for that, Australia. So you do cool things, and you put up with a lot. 
and uh, we think you're the best. So absolutely fantastic to be able to see that. Who do we know? Well, who do we we don't know? Who's in Australia? Well, the, we uh, we one day hope to get the dude back on this podcast because he was a guy who called into this podcast a couple of times from Australia, and I believe. Jim, didn't you like mail him something at some point as well? I I can't quite yeah. remember, but it was it was amazing to have somebody from Australia call in during our live podcast. So, if even if you're not the dude and you'd like to call in from Australia right now, uh, you know what? We're here for you. The lines are open. Six four six 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 eight two four three. I love that. that number. And so. what what? What Eric has done now by by saying the dude repeatedly is now I picture an entire nation of like Lebowski dudes <laughs> Lebowski. With, like, with like big sweaters and white Russians, but they all have Australian accents. So that's what you've done for me, Eric. Thank you. I will now forever make that association with Australia. Thanks to you, brother. You can't unsee it. Now we got a couple more here, and then we're going to close this thing down because everyone's sick of hearing me talk, and I know the clock is ticking. But it's have, it's way too much fun, and I did not expect this, so it's delightful. We are talking the big smoke. We are talking LDN. We are talking the square mile, the capital, the city of dreams, Cockney Town. What could I possibly be referring to other than Londinium, London, United Kingdom, one of the greatest metropolises in the entire planet earth london is amazing yeah every now and then you get a little dalek infestation but what are you going to do right you know when you're that popular people are going to come pester you it just happens but some of the greatest things ever on the planet have happened there in london and it has got a history that will blow your mind we would not have the beatles we would not have well i know you're going to take credit in other towns what are you going to do but a lot of stuff happened there you know i mean uh, you know austin powers aside you guys have a lot to be proud of and you are a, a, a great magnet for history and i love you i have a lot of english family and so to me uh the united kingdom is some place to celebrate and uh english chicks are super hot also i should just mention that but um it's just a really great place to live so we love you london <laughs> And I got to take a deep breath for this one because these are my people. This is uh, a place I have a special fondness for. I was lucky enough to live in this mighty metropolis for quite a long time, and I feel my roots will never really escape there. I married somebody from this wonderful five-borough enchanted theme park, and what could I be talking about? I'm talking about New York, New York, right? Manhattan, New York, the whole thing. All of it together. I mean, I don't know if we're talking just about Manhattan. I think we're talking about all five boroughs. But either way, it's an amazing place. And we're talking some of the most amazing human beings ever who've endured all kinds of crazy things over the years, including misconceptions from folks uh, in other parts of the country who've never had the experience of actually going there and meeting the people. But New Yorkers are the greatest people on the planet. They're tough. They're exciting. They can handle just about anything you can throw at them. And they got a big heart, and they'll always feed you. So you got to love New Yorkers. you got to love the Mets, from my perspective. <laughs> but, uh, but they're great. It's just, uh, I, I lived in Brooklyn for a long time, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, absolutely love New Yorkers. So coming in at number one, yes, it's New York, New York. The city's so nice. They named it twice. We love New York, and we love Star Trek fans from New York, and all of you in our top ten cities, thank you for being so devoted to uh, the franchise that never ends and the podcast that we sometimes wish would end. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's great. Top and, 10 cities, that's what we got. And let's move on to this week's special Star Trek episode. Well, Eric, I think you're going to have lots to say tonight. So we'll, we'll move it along, gentlemen. Thanks for your indulgence. Well, we want to give a quick shout-out to our brother, Ray, who's down in the Bronx. So um, he's a longtime listener of the show, and he is from our top, one of our top cities. So I wanted to give a shout-out to Ray. So, Love you, Ray. And, and to Ray. answer your question... How do we get these numbers? Well, Block Talk Radio gives me a list of where the top downloads are from. So, hmm. so that's where these numbers are generated from. Just there you go. So, cool. There you go. So we're going to be talking about last week's episode of Lower Decks entitled The Inner Fight. And on Fridays, right around coffee break, I post on our Facebook page. And this is a great way for you guys to become top fans, by the way, I post a question on ask you to score the episode on a scale of 1 to 10. We tabulate those scores, and we come up with a fan score, and then we'd like to see how close we come to you guys. So, Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about the inner fight? Well, lots of good stuff this week. Top fan Aaron Aiken starts us off with a 9. Mariner's reveal tracks really well and really tied the other reveal at the end together. Also, regarding reveal at the end of the episode, didn't see that one coming. Still unsure of the motivation here, but they're going to give a future to a character who was denied one, slash, is a subject of some controversy. Uh, very interesting uh, possibility there, Aaron. Let's talk more about that later. Greg Homan also gave it a nine. Loved how they connected Mariner to Wesley Crusher, even though his name wasn't mentioned through a couple of characters that he was associated with. I like it, despite the timelines not quite adding up. Well, that just depends on how long Mariner's been in Starfleet, uh, and we can talk more about that. Thanks, Greg. Kristen Breest Noor said, such a great episode. I teared up at the mention of Cito Jackson, 9.5. Top fan Bob Power gave it a 10 just when I thought Mariner couldn't get any better. They went and they made her better. Freeman, too. Top fan Julian Phillips gave it an 8, easily the most serious episode of Lower Decks, and I love the background connection between Beckett and Cito and Locarno. I, it could rise to a 9, depending on how the next episode pans out. Thanks, Julian. Top fan Luciano Vulcan said 1,000 exclamation point. Astonishing episode. Really amazing. Very, very, very good. I'm just telling you every single sentence here ends with an exclamation point. Plus three thumbs ups. Plus three live longs and prosper. Luciano, uh, I suspect you like this episode. We, of course, will average your 1,000 down to a 10, but we appreciate the enthusiasm. <laughs> Dustin S. Wayne gave it a nine. Best episode of the season so far. Top fan Jenny Sims also gave it a 9. I was crying at Mariner's Connection, also because tying the show to the episode is clearly something you write if you aren't sure you're getting another season. Interesting point. The same way I feel like 30-odd years later, we're finally getting the therapy we need, therapy we need over CETO. And in retrospect, WTFJLP... <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> it doesn't really, really matter what Locarna became and why. Thanks, Jenny. Uh, uh, also, we've got uh, Michael Jones here who gave it an 11. And top fan Steve DeVeet gave it a 10. I loved it. And that, you guys, this week gives us an amazing fan score. Uh, is it unprecedented? It might be unprecedented. 
it's a 9.4, which is super high, uh, even for lower decks, which most of our fans are completely enamored with. Um, this season, we haven't even hit 9 yet. The best we had so far was an 8.6 with Empathological Fallacies, and uh, so that's pretty impressive. Very impressive, I might add. It's, uh, I do Most have a bad impressive. feeling about this. Speaking of uh, Star Wars tie-ins. And you know what that music means. It's once again time to put on your thinking caps and join us for Star Trek Trivia Time with Uncle Jim. All right, guys. I'm going to – I got four quick and very easy trivia questions for you guys to ponder. And the first one is going out to Eric. You got your thinking cap on, Eric? You ready? Better believe it. All right. What was the name of the flight team that Lick Locarno was in charge of at Starfleet Academy? Take your time. Uh, there's no easy. there's no clock. Uh, no, that was that was a softball, and I appreciate it as the first question. That was Nova Squadron, uh, who Wesley Crusher and Cito Jaxa. And then there's the fourth guy that I don't think anybody can ever remember. I think his name was Josh or something. Uh, so yeah. Or yeah, no, there was, was a that. Fourth, no, there was another woman or something, right? Wasn't there another woman? There was Cito. Yeah, yeah anyway. Anyway, it was Nova was, Squadron. Was, two gals, two I guys. Think there was, I think there was five of them, and one of oh, them was died. There five? Oh, right, the one was guy who was in charge. Yeah, Yeah, one dude bit the dog. There was Nick Locarno, there was uh, Gene Hajar, uh, yeah. Cito, uh, Wesley Crusher, and then Joshua Albert. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Competing for the Rachel Cup, if I remember right. Are you ready? You ready for this one? Oh, did you say? Did you say? Who did you say, Jim? Foley. It's Foley. This is for you, Paul. This is a hard one, though. This I don't right. know. I don't know if you, you know, Eric might have to steal this one from you, but we're going to give it a shot. You well, give me a shot, man. Jeez, Louise. Oh, I, I mean, I know I'm old, but I'm still spry, right? You know, uh, I might surprise you. Frisky, I believe, what is what was you the said. name oh, yeah. of the bar that Carol Freeman visits in Pickpocket <laughs> District. Oh, you asked me this question because you know how much I like to drink. Jim, you're so sentimental. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a a I do enjoy the bending the elbow with my beloved people. I really, truly do. Um, there might be at least one co-host, Chuck Spritt, who can vouch for this fact. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, We're talking muds. We're talking muds. Muds. That's right. Muds it is. You, get, you guys never let me down. My truck spurts are the best. Speaking of David, who said it's a trap in this episode, and it wasn't Admiral Akbar either. Ah, <laughs> uh, did... that was my joke. I wanted to say it was the fish guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, I actually just watched this episode, and I believe it happened right at the battle where everybody discovered all those aliens on the planet. And it was uh, the Romulan commander. That's right. It was the Romulan commander. Indeed, it was. And you know what? That brings us up to my last uh, question. And this one goes out to Charles. And uh, Charles, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. It's not it's not a very hard one. I try to try to keep them simple. So who played the bounty hunter? In this episode, oh, the bounty hunter that's mentioned in Gadet Training had to have been Billups. 
That's right. And as usual, my truck spurts get a 100. Congratulations, guys. And Woo, guess what? Time. <laughs> donut time. Now it's time for some cadet. Take it away, Charles. Okay, and there's a whole bunch of them this week. Uh, we had a couple. Uh, we had several people mentioned at the beginning of this episode. People at Starfleet were looking for. Well, we can go to Picard, Season 3, for the known history of Beverly Crusher and Seven of Nine. We learned some of their histories of what happened to them after they after their series ended. TNG, Second Chances, Season 6, Episode 24, where we get to meet Thomas Riker for the first time. And the fourth one, TNG, First Duty, Season 5, Episode 19. We meet Nick LaCorno, which has a very similar similarities to another character we'll see in Star Trek later. But we also meet Cedo Academy, and we mentioned from Eric's trivia, they're part of Nova Squadron. Oh, we see Muds. Oh, we got Harry Mud, of course. Well, where have we seen Harry Mud? Well, let me see. TOS, Muds Women, Season 1, Episode 6. TOS, I Mud, Season 2, Episode 8. The only, one of the only characters to reoccur twice in the original series. TAS, Mud's Passion, Season 1, Episode 10. Two episodes in Discovery, Season 1. That I'll have to, you can look those up yourself. And Short Trek, The Escape Artist, Season 1, Episode 4. Then we're going to the animated series again. Eric's, the first Endorsian, that three-legged creature entering Muds. That was what what that was that's who that was or that species. TNG's Data's Day season four episode eleven. Why am I picking up that odd reference? As Bormler's sitting in the tree and he's mumbling himself about Dan, teach me to dance, Doctor. Well, of course, the dancing Doctor. And Beverly Crusher was teaching Data how to dance. TNG's Lower Decks, Season 7, Episode 17. Cedo mentioned by Mariner. And this is where she went on the mission and disappeared. Which we think Lower Decks might have led to Lower Decks. TOS, The Corbinite Maneuver, Season 1, Episode 10. Where we first saw Balok's Puppet. And the captain thought this was another <coughs> another puppet. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, where we see the Klingon captain shooting up the uh, person leading the person who was captain the ship, and we sink blood. Well, that was a reference where we saw pink blood. 
And then I'm going to throw in the bounty hunter. I think that's a reference to Mandalorian or Boba Fett. Because he did definitely seem like a bounty hunter. Wow. Or Return of the Jedi where Leia is actually the fake bounty hunter. That's what I thought. Could be any of them. But it's a definitely interesting Star Trek reference. So with all that, maybe we can talk about the episode. Yeah, and uh, I want to jump in and I want to take the engine on this one because I got to tell you guys, this was the best episode of Star Wars Lower Decks that I have ever seen. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, it, Star Wars definitely, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, Star Trek. I'm, I'm getting them confused here. <laughs> Why am I getting them confused? Because uh, you've been spent the afternoon in muds. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I had drinking my chippers on the beach. So, like, you know, the first thing I thought is when the, when the Cerritos arrives at New Axton, I'm thinking to myself, that can't be. That that cannot be. And it was. It was Scarif from Rogue One. They had the shield generator. They even had. The, uh, the, the uh, gate, officers, the shield the, gate, the dark imperial uh, uniform type things with the star destroyer windows behind them. They had hmm. that that body imperial officer attitude about them, and I was like, "Wow, uh, you know, if this isn't Star Wars, I don't know what is." But you know, it doesn't end there. Oh no, no, no! It continues on. So when the Cerritos has to go park at the third moon from the right and take the moon shuttle and the moon shuttle lands, the first I popped in my head, I said, that can't be Luke's land speeder. And yeah, it was. And when they land, the whole, the whole pickpocket district looked like Tatooine. It was mind boggling. It was like (laughs) Tatooine in Star Wars. I was like, wow, they really they really went all out on this one, didn't they? But wait, 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 there's more. There's more. When they cut back from that scene to the planet where Mariner is hanging out with this Klingon in the cave, the cave that they're hanging out in looks like Yoda's hut from The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, complete with rain, except they had glass rain in Star Trek, but... Yeah, so I was like, wow, another Star Wars reference. It, it can't be. It can't be. But yes, 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 there's more. We already talked about the bounty hunter played by Billups was, was extremely reminiscent of Bosch, which Eric just mentioned, played by Princess Leia. So I was totally, um, totally impressed um, with that. Um, the station where, where it's – where they're all fighting also looked just like the station from return of the Jedi when the Ewoks attacked. In fact, if an Ewok had run by, it could have, it could have doubled. You could say, Oh wow. <laughs> it's return of the Jedi. They just needed an Ewok in there. Uh, but no, <laughs> no Ewok. <laughs> <laughs> and when, uh, when they come back to the cantina and, uh, Freeman's beating the crap out of the puppet who's actually not really a puppet. Um, you see a giant green praying mantis sitting at the bar drinking. And I swear it's the same exact praying mantis that was in Star Wars. 
Okay, and I'm old. Okay, I'm old. So uh, when I say Star Wars, I mean Star Wars. Because when I saw Star Wars, it was just Star Wars. There was no episode stuff, just Star Wars. So, yeah, it, it reminded me of the giant uh, praying mantis that's drinking at the bar. And, uh, of course, we already hinted at this one. The Romulan commander yells, it's a trap! And we all know that was with Admiral Akbar. So, uh, you know, those are, are a, a few of the awesome Star Wars Easter eggs that, that I happen to notice. Um, on to the Star Trek part of it, though. I really thought it was great that we saw a Gorn wandering around pickpocket um, uh, district there. It was, that was really cool. And uh, the references to MUDs was really neat. And Balok, of course. When, when Freeman beats the crap out of the puppet, that was really great. And the fact that we now know that Thomas Riker is still alive. He's hanging out somewhere out there. So he's, he's still there. Nick Lacarno, of course, we're, we, we catch up with him. Beverly Crusher, we all know that she's off having a baby somewhere, and she won't be found for quite a few more years. Um, so, the, you know, they're out looking for these characters. So we know that they're, they're still kicking around. And, you know, the Ensign Sito thing, Mariner went to school with her, and she graduated a year ahead of her, went to the Enterprise. I love that Klingon. That, that, that's the same Klingon from Weege Dooge who uh, took over that Klingon ship. And the line where, where Mariner hugs him and he goes, Klingons don't hug. I was cracking up because, okay, guys. <laughs> favorite movie of all time the ultimate star trek movie the one of the lines that i absolutely love in that movie is when kirk goes to hug spock and spock says not in front of the klingons i lose it every time and so when mariner was hugging the klingon i was just like wow that's incredibly awesome so you know i i could go on and on but i don't want to i want to leave something for my trek spurts i just want to say i love this episode I thought it was a lot of fun. I liked all the character development. I liked how it ended on a cliffhanger kind of thing where we have to wait for next week to find out what happened. And for me, I'm going with a 10 all the way. Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> all right. David, you want to jump in next? Oh, um, yeah, I, I suppose. Um yeah, so this was one of the funny episodes, great episodes. I actually, you know what, to be honest, I did not get any of the Star Wars references. I was watching it with the view of Star Trek, and I was like, okay. And then when you guys mentioned all this, I was like, oh my goodness, you're right. That's completely true. Indoor, the planet, um, we got... Yeah, right there with you. I, I, I was not seeing any of that. Yeah, and right when, I, right when I heard all this, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to see if I saw a lightsaber hanging off somebody's belt. <laughs> but um, You might be. I You might. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, probably. But anyways, um, other than that, uh, yeah, this was a good episode. I liked the fact that um, they mentioned some of the episode previous a uh, couple weeks ago was like Mariner was, you know, going through this whole rage thing since they got back from the Ferengi planet and that was a reference to that whole Ferengi episode and uh, I liked how they uh, 
basically kind of made Mariner's character have kind of like, like a closure. It was a uh, quite of a quite an interesting uh, closure there for her. So to me, this episode definitely was one of my favorites, um, and um, the fact that Boimler dreaming of Beverly Crusher <laughs> doing the tap dance with him. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> otherwise, uh, my favorite scene, though, the entire episode was when <laughs> Rutherford... <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hey, wait, we do. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard on that. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so uh, there was a couple other points that I wanted to mention, but, yeah, um, I guess I'll leave that up to my uh, other co-host here. So who wants to go next? Oh, oh wait, before well, that, we uh, got, we got yeah, my, score. my score, yeah, it's a 10. <laughs> so I want to ask you guys a question. When one of our fans hinted at it, and I, I didn't get my, my thesaurus or my abacus to figure this out exactly, but. The fact that Mariner was at the Academy with Cito, uh, does this mean that she's the same age, r- roughly, as Wesley Crusher-ish? You know? Yeah, I mean, so if I remember, I looked this up a few days ago, so if I remember correctly, I believe that that Nova Squadron episode was set in like 2370. 60-something, something in the late 60s. Somebody can double-check me on that. So there's something like 10 to 13 years between that episode and what we're seeing now. So, like, when I started doing the math, I was like, okay, so if the kids were in their mid-20s in that episode, where does that put Mariner? And I figure that puts Mariner at at least, like, 35 to 40 years old, and she's kept trying to be an ensign the whole time. Yeah, I was just curious how that worked out. That's my guess. Yeah. You can look I'm up thinking... the years. If you just look up the year, that one episode, and then this, um, you know, lower decks is in like 2382 or 81 or something like that. So there's, there's like a solid 10 to 12 years in there. Yeah, lower decks takes place just shortly after the Dominion War, right? When did that take place? Well, it's after, well, the 20, Dominion War is like 74, but this actually, remember, takes place after Nemesis, which I believe is in 80, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Yeah, I was just trying to figure that out that the, that math angle. I mean, not that I'm, I you know, I don't, I don't really care one way or the other, but I know there's fans mm-hmm. out there that might, you know. Well, I think it's kind of fun to think about how old Mariner might be and how long she's kind of been stewing in the juices of that come out in this episode, you know. So anyway, hmm. yeah, I I love her heart to heart that she has with the Klingon in the cave oh, too. Ma-a. Yeah, that that was just awesome. That whole Klingon thing. But I'm a I'm a kind of Klingon guy. And the pink blood just I was like awesome. Kudos. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so so Paul, uh, do you wanna you wanna see do you wanna jump? tell us what you thought was going on with this? Yeah. Paulie. Who? Oh me, sorry, oh, didn't you oh, I said sorry, Paul, which was clearly he's Paul. Drinking. Yeah. He's having too many jippers. Yeah, apparently so. That, that, every now and then that'll happen. So I was looking at looking at uh, thinking about birthdays and whatnot. What what can I do? You know, and uh, wistfully saying, "Teach me how to dance, Beverly." You know, <laughs> <laughs> that was the funniest line on the show. Uh, I thought. Um, 
Uh, no, this is okay. Um, I really like the. Uh, I, I, I'm like David. I did not see overtly all this Star Trek thing that that, that Jim led with uh, at all. Really, I mean, uh, maybe the, it's a trap thing, sure, but but I didn't weave it together and get like it was a orchestrated, coordinated effort. That totally flew by me. I'm still not sure I see it, even after I've heard Jim describe it. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, yeah, you sure about that? I mean, I know we like to see what we think we want to see, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping they got better things to do with their time in the old writers' room there on lower decks than than messing around with that kind of stuff. But um, I did like um, you know, way before this show ever uh, uh, found its footing, right? Is I, I think it's one of the top episodes of uh, of Next Gen was uh, was lower decks with Cito and everybody. I just thought that was a remarkable episode uh incredibly well done and uh just the fact that they the way it ended like it did was great um i thought it was kind of interesting uh that uh they chose to make that event if i understood the writing correctly um the entire uh motivation because we're talking season seven of next gen right if i remember correctly that's when lower decks was set right right around i think after the pegasus episode if memory serves but but that loss of that character was the whole thing of uh the germ if you will the germination the root of mariner's anger all all going back to that that loss of that one person which was weird to me that it never came up before because it feels like this whole kind of you know behavior we've seen seems really recent for her because they mentioned it in the beginning of the episode that, you know, it's just like more since, you know, the time on Ferengar. I'm probably saying it wrong. Ferenginar. Yeah. yeah, You know, week 21. But yeah, that it was a recent thing. Yet this is, you know, triggered by something that happened like a long time ago. Wait, 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 but but uh, hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in, Paul, because what I would say to that is, and maybe maybe you can riff on this then, is that the Mariner that we have seen for literally every single season of Lower Decks has been a rebel, has been a person who like does everything she can to make sure that she maintains ensignship, right? And in this episode, we finally find out why she perpetually wants to be an ensign. So to me, this is like huh. the culmination of all mm. of the Mariner that we have seen up until this point. Yeah, I think that's legit. I, I, I buy into that. I do. I just, I just, it, it just seemed the way it was, you know, referenced in this season. It, it felt a little bit like it came out of nowhere, just in terms of that. But you know, you could also take the. Uh, perspective that you know that for her it was like a like a buried trauma right that's something she hadn't wanted to deal with in a while right and that, oh, that and yeah. then now it finally came out because a lot of times so, you've got something really traumatic that impacted you like the death of a friend right yeah or, or something like that you now you on that shit and you put it in the vault yeah and now well, i'm wondering does she have a resentment toward picard yeah i don't know she certainly should. It's surprising, though, you know, that like when she because we saw Cardassians on the planet in this episode. Right. And, yeah. and given all that, it's kind of surprising that she didn't like, you know, set out to like execute those Cardassians and murder them. Right. Because it's like if, if there's anyone to hold accountable for the death of Cito, it's really them. Right? Maybe she so, was going to until she got beamed out of there. Yeah. So really interesting stuff to think about with her, um, you know, um, 
the thing is, I hope she doesn't change too much because she's a very likable comedic character, right? Because the Mariner I like is the one who's just, you know, out of control and yeah, in a bar and, you know, getting everyone in trouble. Like when we first meet Mariner huh. in season one, right? She's very uh, ebullient, right? She's fun and, and saucy and irreverent. And I, I hope we don't lose that with this. Uh, but they're trying to do more stuff on this season, like they're promoting them. And doing things that we haven't seen before and being willing to change the character perceptions a little bit. So I think that's all really interesting stuff. Um, I'll be curious to where see where that goes for her, assuming we get another season. I don't think that's been decided yet, or that it's, if it has been decided, it hasn't been decided. Uh, it has. We are yeah, getting working. Yep, they're working yeah. on season five. Okay, that's good news then. Good. So we'll be curious to see how that works itself out um, whenever we get that, you know, in 2027. <laughs> the actor strikes over, you know, something like that. I'll, you can, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I'm streaming it in the retirement home, so I can say. <laughs> can, I, can I add but something to the whole Mariner thing? Please that, uh, you guys do, just, man. Please. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I just realized that now since she has a resentment toward Kardashian, that explains a whole lot of why Mariner did that entire holodeck episode fighting the Kardashians. And how she was putting her anger out toward them. Oh, oh man, like you're that, right, David. dude. That's oh, really that's good. good. That, that fits. I think that's a that's really good she, connection, brother. Good work. I love that's that. where she said that it's leg day, if I remember. Yeah. Was it, was <laughs> it's leg day. It was, it was naked time, I think. Yep. Said. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty sweet. Really, really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, and I just want to, a couple other things I just mentioned, and I want to go too much detail here. Um, uh, uh, I'm losing my train of thought, which should not be any surprising to anyone at all. But I love how um, uh, <laughs> Boimler started, started referring to uh, to Lynn as T. That's her, his, yeah. his hipster <laughs> nickname for her. Yeah, T, you're right. You know, she just accepts it, keeps talking. But I just said, I kind of hope that that sticks. I thought that was really uh, kind of fun and. Uh, and I hope we get more of her in the finale that aired tonight and uh, next season because she's really t- taken uh, emerged as a very uh, enjoyable character. I really like her a lot, and uh, kind of find myself missing her when she's not on. You know, she's cool. So yeah, um, but I love the fact that uh, in addition to that uh, trigger uh, connection for Mariner, we got all these cool uh, shout-outs to uh, to that season seven episode the original lower decks if you will that kind of inspired the show in a lot of ways because um, if there's anybody out there i can't imagine there is in our audience but if there's anybody out there who hasn't seen that episode um i think for me there's about like four or five really hardcore brilliant episodes in season seven and that's one of them i mean it really is it's it's kind of painful in a lot of ways given how it ends but it's a hell of a piece of writing and it's really well cast so I think that that's, uh, that's good stuff. I, I hope they're able to uh, evoke some of that same tone uh, with the Starfleet Academy series that I'm hearing about, and they don't just go pure comedy, because I think that would be a real step backwards. Um, so let's, let's hope that doesn't. But um, I'm like you, Jim. I really like the Klingon in this episode as well. I just thought that uh, that kind of, uh, you know, uh, to me that felt like good writing. It felt like there was really good rapport between those characters and they went into it. And I love where just because of her uh, behavior and being willing to be open, he kind of changes 
the Klingon's perspective of not just her, but of humans. And he still sees her as a warrior who should be respected. And he's just going to stand up for her in front of the group. And I like that. The fact that he's like, she would not betray us, you know, and he was just, you know, really cool about it. And I just liked their whole dynamic. And I thought he was a great fun. Uh, you say he was the same Klingon from Wedge Douche. Did I get that? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Same guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that was a really nice callback too. And I just thought he was a really cool Klingon and just, uh, I like it when the Klingons are portrayed as having, um, you know, almost more than anything, you know, dignity and honor that, you know, as opposed to the violence and all the other nonsensical stuff, but just that sense of, you know, being a stand-up code that you live by, right? I love that um, aspect, and I thought this character portrayed that really, really well. It's really fun. Um, I really dug the glass rain. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever seen that anywhere before, but I thought that was terrifying and really cool. You know, that we would have that, that there would be, you know, uh, glass rain that just impales you with that. That was that was, a, you know, disturbing and very cool. So I think uh, generally pretty fun stuff uh, for me. I think uh, trying to think if there's anything else that's worth uh, pointing out. I'm always a big fan of uh, Dawn Lewis's delivery as Carol Freeman. <laughs> She's hilarious. Tongue always in cheek, always a little mock, right? I think she's just great. Um, uh, when are we getting our Dr. Taana-centric episode, though, friends? You got one more season coming? You better not disappoint me, because I think that's what we uh, we need to have at some point. I think it's a wasted talent uh, there for Jillian Vigman. Let's get her uh, some screen time. Make it happen. But... Uh, I'm not a fan of the uh, the self-referential riffing, like when they have the uh, the character who's supposed to look like the Balok puppet, right? Because uh-huh. I feel like when they do that, to me, it kind of undermines the you're, – you're moving to that territory where it's not like really so much homage, but you're kind of making fun of the old stuff that I don't really enjoy that much because it kind of makes me – like Star Trek less because of what you're doing and saying about it. It's just a little bit less engaging to me than when you have the really good uh, moments like the, that happened between Mariner and, uh, and, uh, and the Klingon. So with that kind of thing where they veer into like, you know, Hey, recognize this kind of like Sid and Morty humor. I really can do without that a lot. And I think that they, it's one of the things you just have to sort of accept because that's like literally a third of what this show is all about is going down that road. So I like it when they uh, go the other direction. I think it's more satisfying, but uh, I think definitely a step in the right direction um, for the show. Hopefully I hope they finish strong. I really want them to have a good finale uh, tonight. And uh, you know, the last like five or six episodes for me have been kind of a snoozer, right? Like pretty much going back to episode four. Um, so it was great to see something that was a little bit more, engaging in places and dug into character a bit more. So for me, um, I would give it a, I would give it a seven would be my score on there. Um, an optimistic seven, hoping that we, uh, get a lot of good payoff in the last episode that we see, uh, and chat about next week. Awesome. Awesome. Who want, any, me, my name, Oh, Charles, you're the next to go. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh, one thing that came up in this, ep- uh, this episode, it's like, he finally finds out he's got pockets. Trivia. Huh? Which crew actually got pockets? Chief O'Brien. Nope. Milana. Nope. Come on, Eric. 
Sorry, I honestly what? missed the question. Yeah, I, it was it like that's blipped not out a little bit. I've, uh, I've ever I focused much attention on, man. Sorry, dude. Yeah, <laughs> Gene Roddenberry didn't crew to have pockets. What crew eventually did get pockets? I think you're going to have to tell us, Charles. Enterprise. Nobody had pockets until Enterprise because it was a prequel. I thought Bologna had pockets. Nope. Yeah, I thought. I, I, thought of, I think uh, the trivia oh, is they did. O'Brien they had these little pen things sticking out of his uniform that resembled pockets. Yeah. Well, technically, they weren't supposed to have pockets. Maybe it was post Gene Roddenberry, and they finally snuck some pockets in. But <coughs> the story was Gene did not want them having pockets. Well, there but, you go. <laughs> <coughs> I think this is an episode we definitely see a turnaround in Mariner. Because we start off with her showing her anger. And after several episodes, we finally get to find out why all this anger. And I think it added, some, added, a, little to, added a little to her character. I think we've got some, a new a new eyes on what kind of person she is. She kind of changed a little bit to the end of the episode of not wanting to fight. She just wanted to sit there. We need to work together and solve this. And I like how the fact that the one captain was ready to sit there and fight her until Lynn showed up and it's like, oh, mistress, never mind, I will... I will follow. I will do as you say. Tendy, yeah. But I like how we've got that tie-in with her that she ha- she does carry some respect, even though she's self-conscious. Ah, uh, trying to think what to say. It hasn't been said already. Definitely, I like the ending. I got to the point where it's like, oh, man, this episode's really getting good. The flow's getting good. Mariner's getting beamed off. They finally discover this person's uh, Nick's, where Nick, Nick, was, Nick was hiding away. And we find out, it's like, they're the blueprints of the ship. We find out Mariner's on the ship, and it's the to be continued. It's like, man, this episode really was picking up and going and cut. Did anyone else oh. find that, Charles? Did you find it confusing where just like you know we uh, right? I think before that scene, uh, or right afterwards, where all of a sudden we saw the Klingon ship there, and then there was the weird mystery ship just there by it, but there was no like connection like previously showing why it was there. It was just there next to the Klingon ship, and then it turned around and left. I was just like, what? It just seemed really uh, uh, kind of random editing. Anyone else find that odd? Well, I think, they want, I think they just wanted to make sure that it was there and left quickly. It didn't want to be seen. But, like, well, did the Klingons know it was there? Because it was, like, right there next to them? No, it was just, I don't think yeah. the Klingons knew it okay. was there. Yeah, yeah I found I that the way that, that was... The scene was constructed was very confusing. I got my I own theories for it. Well, I will, <laughs> I I will say just... that I went back and rewatched it, Paul, because I thought the same thing. And then I noticed something 
uh, when I was so busy looking at my Star Wars references, I noticed <laughs> something that I didn't notice before, which which made me immediately realize that the Klingons and Nick were working together. And that's when the Klingon ship goes down and blows up the shield generator on Endor. On the <laughs> wing of the Klingon ship is not the Klingon symbol. It's a circle with five points, meaning hmm. which was the starburst symbol uh, of the uh, maneuver they were trying to do. When when Mariner wakes mm. up on Nick's shed, Nick has that same exact logo on his jacket. And that's when I said, wait a minute. If that's the logo on Nick's jacket and that's the logo on the Klingon ship, they're obviously, we're all working together. So it's, I yeah. had to watch it to, to catch that. Wow. Reference. So it's, there's a lot of stuff that you basically can't get from just watching the episode and listening to the characters. It's all this other extraneous trivia they want you to front load. Okay, got it. All right. Well, wow. Because I, that's challenging. I like, it kind of, that's not really a, <laughs> it's like not exactly encouraging new viewership, is it? It's like, yeah, okay. Well, well I, I just I mean, I guess the question is, Paul, whether or not the episode holds up if you don't know all the lore and I yeah. kinda of feel like it I kinda of feel like it does because I feel like in this case Mariner is the main focus of this episode. She's the oh, one yeah. that... But I just say everything just Jim just said, man, you gotta study the ass off that thing and how do you get that in real time when you're watching the show? Right? I mean it seems like that's that's doubtful to me that a lot of people would catch that. You'd get it subsequently if you like watched it six times and read online about it. But it's just like I think that probably flew by most people in the audiences. I guess only diehard fans would uh, notice it. I guess. I guess, <laughs> well, yeah. I, I well, I, I got to tell you guys, I do this little podcast on Thursday night called Trek Talking, and <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of my job to to be anal about these things. So I watched the episode the first time, and then I always go back and watch it again to catch these little things that we could talk about on the podcast. Got it. Okay. I didn't quite catch that the first time around, but the second time I did see the ship sitting there and I rewound it. And that's when I caught the logo on the Klingon bird of prey and the logo on Nick's jacket was on my second view. I totally missed all that shit. Oh, well. Well, so you can go back and watch it and find all the star Wars references too. I think I'm good. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, Eric. Oh, that that's... wasn't Eric. Oh, Charles, we went off on a little tangent there. Sorry. Yes. Well, uh, hopefully we've left something, a tidbit for Eric to chew on. But I'll give this episode a nine. Definitely a good a episode. Nine. I can't wait to see what they do with it next. And that leaves the caboose for Eric. Oh. Yeah, I think all the Trexperts have done a super job of covering all the stuff that I noticed in this episode. I did notice – I actually didn't notice the, all the Star Wars references until I saw the land speeder, and then I was like, oh, I get it now. And I got the whole like planet, and then I started thinking back. So, so I definitely got that. Um, I guess the one thing I'll say that nobody said so far, which I think is pretty cool, is that Mariner speaks Binar. So – there you go. Not too many <laughs> humans out there actually speak Binar. Marin is one of them. Uh, uh, I looked it up. It was uh, that Nova Squadron episode was 2368. 
we're in like 23, probably 81 right now, assuming that we've advanced a year since 2380. Um, so 13 years between now and when Cito Jaxa was around. And so, you know, Mariner's, so Mariner's been, been an ensign for 13 years? She's been an ensign. Well, she's been upgraded a couple of times and then always downgrades herself. But yeah, generally speaking, been wow. an ensign for 13 years at least. So, so she's um, not up in her 40s then. Uh, right. Well, it depends on 30. how old. I mean, I'm I, I'm assuming that when you get to a certain place as an ensign, you're like in your mid twenties. Maybe maybe that's a improper assumption. I don't know. Feels like you got to go through the academy, which is probably like four or five years, and then uh, so maybe an ensign is like twenty three, twenty four. So maybe she's in her mid thirties to late thirties, then something like that. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Harry Kim was an ensign for thirty years. No, Harry Kim was an ensign for seven years because of some really crappy writing, and I don't get me started on ensign Harry Kim. But, uh, um, I, you know, I don't have too much more to add. I'll just say that I really dug this episode for what it did for Mariner's character. I think it actually gave her a reason for being the way that she is for the past um, many seasons, you know, like – why would anybody be in Starfleet and be a total rebel that never follows rules? Because it's hilarious. No, there's actually a deeper reason. Um, and so I like that. I, li- I like that they brought that to the character. I like that we got uh, the the kind of quartet of um, lieutenants junior grade uh, with Mariner out of it and sticking in the Talin thing. I, I, Talin is still, I mean, I love her. Everybody loves Talin. But um, just some of the things that she says that are so nonchalant along the way to me, provide perfect comedy um, pairing with some of the like slapstick stuff that we get from the other characters. So I, I think the comedy writing on the show is just really good. I think they use a lot of different comedy elements to sort of make the show enjoyable. Um, I don't think the show lives and dies on these references. I think it's fun to like find them and that sort of stuff. I actually found the star Wars references in this one to be very cool and like um respectful it was like the writers were saying hey there's this other cool franchise out there we're gonna like riff on it just a little bit um and i i liked that um to me that's the writers being uh i i don't know engaging fun tongue-in-cheek i don't know what the right term is but 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 i dig it um and you know there were some just the the minutiae that we were getting into with all the the Klingon blood is purple and stuff I thought that was kind of actually fun and I I did notice those things as well so I'll just end by saying I uh, I thought I really enjoyed this episode overall especially the development of the Mariner character arc and how it kind of like brings together multiple seasons in one episode lots of funny stuff here that you guys all talked about so I'm gonna give this episode an 8.5. Hmm. Can I ask a question wow. really quick? Yeah, sure. Did, uh, so, the bounty hunter, the soundtrack they used for his helmet, you guys were saying that it sounded like the Princess Leia mask from Star Wars? No, we said that that was the reference for the bounty hunter, but it absolutely sounded like a Breen, which I know is where you're going, right? It, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, totally I was going to say. Like I mean, are they the same sound? or I, I, can't I don't know if it was exactly the same sound, but it absolutely, when I heard it, I was like, oh, that sounds like a Marine. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Eric, you said 8 point... 8.5 for me. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think we that, are below. I think... Go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say that I, I felt I feel like I agree with one of our um, listeners who commented that they feel like the score for this episode might go up for me based on the next episode. We'll have to see. Well, we our fans outscored us again. The fans voted a nine point four. Voted an eight point nine. Eight point nine is pretty good. That's yep. pretty close. Eight point nine. That's respectable. Yeah, that's when a half, within a half point. So. Yeah, very respectable. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. There's our discussion on the inner fight. And uh, now it's time to do our Star Trek birthdays. And we always start off our Star Trek birthdays with... That was not a Klingon song. All right, Eric, we always like to remember those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. So you want to take it away? I do, Jim. Uh, Our first remembrance this week goes out to actor Steve Sandor. Steve Sandor, uh, we lost back in 2017. Uh, He would have had a birthday just here on October 27th. He was the actor who played Lars in the TOS second season episode, The Gamesters of Triskelion. Um, Steve spent a very long time uh, before his acting career as a steel worker and copy machine salesman. He also uh, trained dogs for a long time and has a or had a black belt, a third degree black belt in Shaolin Chao Kung Fu. So that that sounds like seriously dangerous to me. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. Um, he's absolutely best known for his uh, role as the ill-fated biker gang leader in the 1980 cult film, The Ninth Configuration. So happy birthday to see Steve Sandor, who played Lars in Star Trek. Happy birthday as well to Ben Gage. Ben Gage was the American actor who played Akar in the TOS second season episode Friday's Child. Ben Gage had a pretty sporadic film and television career. Um, he spent some time acting. He spent some time dubbing songs and then disappeared from movie and film for a time, reappearing infrequently in the late 50s through the early, early 60s, but amassing just 14 credits to his name in that time, mostly in television. Uh, He's done some singing on movie soundtracks for State Fair and My Gal Sal, and was the producer for a TV special called the Esther Williams Aqua Spectacle. So Ben Gage, a car in Friday's Child, uh, would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday, Ben. Happy birthday as well to Jack Donner. He's the actor who played the original Tal in the TOS third season episode, The Enterprise Incident, one of our coolest Romulans we get along the way. He also played a Vulcan priest in the Enterprise four-season episodes, Home and Kirshara. He's one of only five actors in the world who appeared both on TOS and Enterprise, which I think is kind of a cool thing. Uh, in 1966, he was the founder, along with Lee Delano, of the Oxford Theater in Los Angeles, a playhouse and acting school. Uh, he, along the way, did a lot of television, you know, Man from Uncle, Mission Impossible, Kojak, a lot of shows from back in the day. Uh, but after becoming ill in 1977, he retired from acting and studied to be a licensed psychotherapist, which was a uh, profession that he carried out through the rest of his life. So happy birthday and lots of great contributions from Jack Donner. Lived to be 
90 years young. Happy birthday as well to William Campbell. William Campbell, aged 87 when we lost him, was the actor who played Trelane in the TOS first season episode, The Squire of Gothos. Same guy, you probably know, who played Koloth, the Klingon, in the second season episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, later reprising that role in Deep Space Nine's second season episode, Blood Oath. Um... You know, he has always reveled in his Star Trek fame along the way. He used to do a ton of conventions back in the day. And even when his health started to fail him during the uh, early 2000s, he found the strength to attend his very last one, which was the Creation Entertainment 40th Anniversary Star Trek convention held at the Las Vegas Hilton Hotel in 2006. Uh, That was the last time that we got to see him on stage, unfortunately. Uh, William Campbell not only did Star Trek, he was the first actor ever to sing with Elvis Presley in the motion picture Love Me Tender. Uh, He was close personal friends with DeForest Kelly and spoke about him quite fondly uh, upon DeForest Kelly's death in 1999. And during and following his acting career, he worked with the Motion Picture and Television Fund and at one point was its administrator and chief fundraiser. And I think that a lot of people know him for his sort of philanthropy philanthropological work? (laughs) Is that the right word? Philanthropic. Philanthropic. There we go. Philanthropic work uh, later on in his life after uh, acting was done. So thank you so much, William Campbell, for your amazing contributions to Star Trek and to the world uh, after, you know, after your acting years were over. It's just really incredible. And uh, you were quite a man. I would have loved to have met you. Uh, also had a birthday this week would have been Hamilton Camp. Hamilton, Hamilton Camp was the actor who appeared as Lek in the Deep Space Nine fifth and sixth season episodes Ferengi Love Songs and The Magnificent Ferengi, one of those dastardly little uh, trolls that we like to love. Uh, he also played Vrelk in the Star Trek Voyager fifth season episode Extreme Risk. If you don't remember who Vrelk is, he's kind of one of those minor characters, but he is a Malon one of those kind of like garbage haulers from the Voyager days. As an actor, Camp is probably best known for his role as Andrew Hummel in the 1968-69 to 69 television series He and She. Uh, became a voiceover actor in the 80s, working on things like DuckTales and the Smurfs and Darkwing Duck. Um, had a couple of uh, film appearances, mostly like cult horror and uh, comedy films, but outside of acting, Camp was well-known as a folk singer. He called himself Bob Camp, and he was part of a duo along with Bob Gibson during the late 50s and 60s. Later, he branched out and had a solo career, a successful one at that. So Hamilton Camp would have had a birthday this week, October 30th. Happy birthday, Hamilton. Happy birthday as well to David Ogden Steers. He's the veteran actor who played Timison in the Next Generation fourth season episode, Half a Life. Timison, one of the many uh, men who wooed our wonderful Luaxana, the male Kalon in that episode. Probably, no, not probably, absolutely best known for his role as Major Charles Emerson Winchester III on the highly successful television series MASH, which ran from 77 through 83. He got two Emmy Award nominations during his time there, which is 
pretty awesome. He also guest starred in the first two chapters of that North and South trilogy, which you probably remember from back in the day, which was very well done. And he was a voiceover actor in George Lucas's THX 1138. Can you believe that? Yeah, go watch that weird one again. It's a lot of fun. Uh, his many feature films include things like Better Off Dead and The Accidental Tourist and Doc Hollywood. But, you know, his voice may have almost outpaced his acting at some point. He eventually became a very talented voice actor, appearing in a lot of Disney films like Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, and Lilo and Stitch. So David Ogden Steers, talented both in front of the camera and just in front of the microphone with his voice. Happy birthday, David. Happy birthday as well to Michael Joel Zaslow. He's the actor who appeared as Darnell in the TOS first season episode, The Man Trap. And then later he played Jordan in the second season episode, I Mud. He was the first death ever seen on Star Trek. So stick that in your trivia hat and pull it out later. Michael Joe Zaslow. That's right. The first death ever on Star Trek. And he wasn't even a red shirt. And he wasn't even a red shirt. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, it was his death uh, where Leonard McCoy coined the phrase, he's dead, Jim. So uh, you could thank him for that. Michael Joel Zaslow was also the godfather to Christian Slater, who Star Trek fans know as having a great cameo appearance in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Um, he definitely got into the soaps, uh, very famous for his portrayal on, portrayals on Guiding Light, uh, won some daytime Emmy Awards back in the day, which I think is pretty cool, had myriad guest appearances on various feature films, and died a little too early at age 56 years old. He had uh, ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, and after his death, his widow and their adopted daughters founded the uh, Zaz Angels to raise funds in order to find a cure for Lou Gehrig's disease. They also released a book about Zaslow and his fight with ALS entitled, Not That Man Anymore. You should read that book. Happy birthday, Michael Joe Zaslow. Happy birthday as well to Warren Stevens. Uh, lived to be 92. He's the guy who played Rojan in the original series second season episode by any other name. Had a military background before he got into acting, uh, and then eventually became discovered, appeared in some stuff with Jeffrey Hunter along the way, if you can believe it, and had more than 150 guest television appearances so many times on television. Was also a close friend of Gregory Peck and Kenneth Toby. Warren Stevens would have had a birthday. In fact, today, November 2nd, he was born in 1919, and we lost him back in 2012. And certainly last but not least on our remembrance list this week is the great Ray Walston, best known for his role as Uncle Martian and uh, the Martian in the 1960s television series, My Favorite Martian. Ray Walston was the guy who played Boothby in three Star Trek episodes, uh, the Next Generation fifth season episode, First Duty. And then the Voyager fifth season episode, uh, he wasn't really Boothby, but we kind of count him in there, you know. And then also uh, that one was called The Fight, and then another Voyager episode called In the Flesh. Um, great actor, you know, known not only as a film actor, but like was a Broadway guy back in the day, got discovered during his Tony award-winning performance in the Broadway production of Damn Yankees. Um, had numerous Emmys uh, for his role uh, as Judge Henry Bowen on the drama series Picket Fences. 
Um, and one of the cool stories that I always like to tell when Ray Walston's birthday uh, comes up was uh, when he was on Star Trek Voyager, when Annie was working on the Star Trek Voyager episode In the Flesh, he often had trouble remembering his lines along the way. Um, but when the cameraman was changing the film one day during shooting the scene uh, in the briefing room, Walston recited a line from Hamlet, just kind of randomly. And Robert Beltran, who was in the same room, then immediately followed up with the next line. And then Walston, the next. And then Beltran, the next. And the two went on for a full five minutes back and forth, reciting Hamilton to one another. Um, I guess this was a very special occurrence. The entire cast happened to be there. In fact, Tim Russ remembered uh, in an interview for the special feature uh, of the Voyager Season 5 DVD that it was so quiet beside them that you could hear a pin drop and that when they were done, everyone broke out in applause. So amazing what that kind of like old memory humans have <laughs> does. You can just imagine this being a very special experience to see Beltran and Walston going back and forth reciting Hamilton with one another. So Ray Walston, Boothby, such a cool character, such an amazing career. We miss you. Happy birthday. We lost you way back in 2001. And that, you guys, does it for our remembrances this week. There were quite a few of them. So I'm going to pass this flaming birthday candle over to Charles. To Eric. Let's have a wish a happy birthday to Tom Jackson, Canadian actor and singer who appeared as Lucanta in Star Trek Next Generation 7th season episode, Journey's End. Happy birthday to Jasmine Anthony. Actress who played Paula in Star Trek Enterprise's fourth season episode, These Are the, These Are the Voyages. Happy birthday to Henriette Ivins, actress who played Maggie O'Halloran in Star Trek Voyager's sixth season episode, Fair Haven and Spirit Folk. Well, Tarrant. Is a retired naval officer who played Commander Rogerson as the command the command duty officer in the USS Enterprise in Star Trek for the Voyage Home. Happy birthday, J. Paul Boimler. Actress who played several characters in the episode Star Trek appeared one in Voyager episode Drone. Boimler Benar in DS9's Tackling into the Wind, and Minstrel in Enterprise's episode Carbon Creek. Jim might not want to hear this, but he also appeared in three episodes of Orville. Stated Joanne McCloy, actress who played Maddie Calloway in Star Trek Next Generation 7th season episode Eye of the Beholder. Happy birthday to Michael John Anderson, actor who played Rumpelstiltskin in Star Trek D Space Nine, first season episode, If Wish Were Horses. And happy birthday to Kim Donahue, actress who played Peanut Hamper in Star Trek Lower Decks, first season episode, No Small Parts, in the third, ep- third season episode, A Mathematically Perfect Redemption. And the fourth season episode, a few more, a few badges more. 
Okay, with that, I will pass the flaming candle over to Paul. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it, man. Okay, we got more birthdays to get through here today, so let's get to it. First of all, we're saying happy birthday to comedian and actor Andy Richter, who voiced uh, Beljo Tweakle in Star Trek Lower Decks fourth season episode Tuvix, which I believe is how we started this season off, right? Happy birthday also to Scott Thompson, who portrayed Goss in the next-gen third season episode The Price. A very happy birthday to smoke show Winona Ryder, Academy Award-nominated actress, who we're acknowledging, who played Amanda Grayson in the 2009 Abrams Star Trek reboot. But her legacy and credits are voluminous, as is she. Um, she's been in Bram Stoker's Dracula for uh, Francis Ford Coppola. She's been in more things than I could even possibly name here, including her recent work where she has been uh, basically like the consistent lead character of Stranger Things on Netflix, which is just phenomenal uh, work that she's done. Uh, Really, really great. Always a pleasure to watch her work. Uh, Dynamite actress and uh, great to know that she's part of Star Trek as well. We salute you, Winona. Happy birthday goes out to Leon Rippey, actor who played L.Q. Clemens in Next Gen first season episode, The Neutral Zone. Hilarious portrayal. Leon Rippey's pretty funny and uh, does a lot of good work in that episode. So check it out if you have not seen it. Happy birthday to Russell Yuen, actor who played Commodore Tafune in the Strange New World second season episode, The Broken Circle. Uh, a favorite of us on this show. We all like that very much. We're also acknowledging an actor who played Q Jr. in uh, Voyager's seventh season episode, Q2. Who is he? Well, we're talking about Keegan Delancey, the son of John Delancey. So how apropos that he should also be playing a Q as well. From Houston, Texas, we salute you, Robert Foxworth, uh, actor who played Layton in Deep Space Nine, fourth season episodes, Homefront, Paradise Lost, and Veloz in the Star Trek Enterprise fourth season episodes, The Forge. Awakening and Kir Shara. Robert Foxworth, you're a legend. You've done a lot of work. Happy birthday. Happy birthday also to Karen Hansel, uh, actress who portrayed Admiral Brackett in the Next Gen fifth season episode, Unification One. Wow, is that a great freaking episode? I'll tell you what. Uh, really, really great. And then also Dila in Deep Space Nine episode, Cardassians, which you should check out. And finally, uh, Helene Udi. Uh, is having a birthday. Happy birthday. You're the actress who played Pell in Deep Space Nine, second season episode, classically phrased, Rules of Acquisition. Back over to you, Uncle Jim. Back over to you, Uncle Jim. Is this thing Hello, on? Uncle Jim. Paging Uncle Jim. Paging Uncle Jim. Spock. Spock. Uncle Jim. Tell me Spock. <laughs> He's on mute. If he's on mute, we can just go ahead and jump in for him. Uh, interrupt me, Jim, if you uh, are able to re- recover your hailing frequencies. Um, he may be in a snowbank, for all we know. Um, we're saying happy birthday to the legendary Robert Picardo, uh, actor best known to fans for playing the holographic doctor, the EMH, on Voyager, uh, and also EMH creator, Dr. Louis Zimmerman. <laughs> trivia extra knowledge for you all um but what a great guy i mean really has done so much stuff um i don't know if folks uh remember back to um eric help me out what was that uh old martin short picture about the uh the shrinking submarine with dennis quaid oh yes uh, uh inner space 
Yeah, Inner there it space. is. Yep, Inner space. Yeah. Yep, yep. If you want to see some early Robert Picardo, check out Inner yep. Space. But he's a real gentleman, hilarious, knows his stuff from left and right. And I think I yep. just heard Uncle Jim come out of the shower. I'm going to avert my eyes because I don't want to be blind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're technical difficulties, some gremlins again. So uh, I'm back. I'm back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we want to say happy birthday to Billy Simpson. And Eric, why do we care about Billy Simpson? What is so special about Billy Simpson? We've talked about, we actually did a whole show on this particular topic. We did. Uh, Yeah, Billy Simpson is one of 11 actors who have played our favorite character, Spock. And in fact, Billy Simpson is the one who actually plays that character in our favorite animated series episode. Right, Jim? Yes, yesteryear. If you're looking for an excuse or a reason to watch the animated series, the one, watch yesteryear. You won't be disappointed. We also want to say happy birthday to Warren Shearer, the actor and stuntman who played Otto Kerr in the Star Trek Discovery fourth season episode, All In, and the Gorn adult in Star Trek Strange New World second season episode, Agenemy. He was the big, huge guy that was on the bridge battling Chapel and Spock. That was him. Yeah, cool. And I always save the Klingons for last. And I've got a couple here. Uh, the first one we want to say, Kapwa, and happy birthday to Obi Nadefi, who played Drex in DS9's fourth season episode, The Way of the Warrior. And finally on my list, we want to say, Kapla and happy birthday to Gabrielle Union from Omaha, Nebraska. She played the Klingon officer McGarren in DS9 sixth season episode, Sons and Daughters. And that wraps up our Star Trek birthdays. And now it's time for Star Trek news. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. All right, guys, it's time for Star Trek news, and we're going to try to get as many in as we can. And Eric, you have our first story. Yeah, tonight we're starting out with one of our favorite segments called Shatner Says What? William Shatner gave an honest response after being asked if Star Trek's Captain Kirk is the role that's meant the most to him. William Shatner had a long and successful career in Hollywood and has played a plethora of characters. But if you ask most people what they most associate him with, they'd probably say Star Trek. While the actor hasn't been actively involved with the franchise in quite some time, his role as Captain James T. Kirk solidified him as one of the most iconic characters in all of science fiction and pop culture as a whole. While promoting a screening of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan and a special Q&A event, the 92-year-old actor was asked whether or not the character represents the role that's most significant. He gave a loaded answer, quote, I don't want to sound ungrateful, but uh, I started long before Star Trek, so I've had a multitude of things to do and say and perform, been given a lot of opportunity. William Shatner seemed to brush off the notion that the captain of the USS Enterprise is the most meaningful part to him, pointing out his career started long before Gene Roddenberry's TV series began. 
these latest sentiments aren't necessarily off-brand for William Shatner, who's had an, a, a complicated history with the franchise over the decades. If Captain Kirk isn't the star's most meaningful part, then one has to wonder what role stands above it. Perhaps it's his performance as the titular character on T.J. Hooker, or Denny Crane from Boston Legal. Of course, how many people can say they've lived over 90 years and had much of that time consumed by the buzz surrounding one fictional character? So, uh, you know, this is like a – Shatner says what light. Uh, he just didn't really uh, acknowledge that Kirk was his most important role, but we all know it was. Right, Paul? I think right. I have to concur, Here we go. right? All right. <laughs> awesome. Cool, uh, dude. Well, I'm going to pass this news to, uh, microphone over to you. All right. Thank you, Mistress of the Winter Constellations. I yes. appreciate that. It's excellent. Well, you know what, friends? Uh, I, I, it's not a fun story to read, but it's one that it's really easy when stuff's going on. Our attentions wander. And we move on to the next thing, right? But there's something that we should not forget about because it's super, super important. And that is the fact that the Screen Actors Guild strike is still continuing as a holdout against reported cancellation threats. Okay? Because guess what, ladies and gentlemen? It was July 14th when all this nonsense began. And when I say nonsense, I say that in terms of supporting actors everywhere, of which I will always be a champion. Uh, when people are making, I don't know a thousand times more than you, you kind of might feel it's not fair. And that's kind of been what's going on. Because after over 100 days of withholding work, SAG-AFTRA is working on a counteroffer to the proposal from four CEOs. I'm looking at you four CEOs who met with them on Tuesday. The CEOs represent by the AMPTP, but Variety reports that their personal involvement was to impress on SAG-AFTRA leadership the economic stakes as the stalemate drags on. Oh, the bullshit. I can smell it way over here. One of the economic stakes they mentioned canceled TV shows and a total rewrite of the upcoming scripted TV schedule for 2024. Oh, so you'll use who then to be in those shows, right? That's good logic there. You'll, you'll cancel some shows you can't film because the actors are on strike and you'll replace them with other shows you can't film because there's actors would be needed for those as well. You guys are showcasing your genius like with the clarity of a jug of Vaseline. It is absolutely mind-boggling. While the CEO is meant to merely lay out the basic realities of the strike, Portland Public School District uh, mindset here, SAG-AFTRA interpreted this as a threat, which it is, let's be honest. With the Guild awaiting a response from the studios to their latest proposal, it appears the two sides will be working tomorrow, October 29th. This is obviously an old article because today is November 2nd. Whether that entails another meeting, either virtual or face-to-face, or a day of review is yet to be determined. We here, studios are anxious to restart global TV and feature productions, you think, which have been halted since the actors walked out on July 14th. Hundred and I'm gonna have to do some math. Hundred and five days ago, maybe, uh, as they did with the WGA, Writers Guild of America. The AMPTP uh, is pushing for the guild to lift the restraining order and see members heading back to work even before the tentative deal is reached or ratified. After talks were restarted on October 24th, my birthday, the studios proposed a rise in minimum rates as well as increased bonuses based on the success of streaming shows and movies. The studios offered 7% increase in minimums, with SAG-AFTRA offering on Friday a self-described comprehensive counter 
going from a proposed 11% to 9%. Sources on both sides informed deadline. The studio's proposal this last week was in response to the actors' ask for a 57 cent per subscriber annual charge for streamers. That request by SAG-AFTRA drew a great amount of ire among studio brass because they don't like giving away money because they're cheap, greedy, venal bastards. Studios suspended talks on October 11th for 12 days. Sarandos emphatically called the actors' suggestion a levy on subscribers. Oh, Jesus, this guy needs to go. Already, the impact of dual strikes has cost the state of California 6.5 B with a billion, 6.5 B billion dollars, with many below-the-line workers suffering due to production stoppages and 45,000 industry jobs lost. Already, the 2024 global box office is set to lose $1.5 billion to delay of the likes of uh, anticipated sequels like Mission Impossible 8, Snow White, Pixar's Ilio, and the 2025 schedule. Even if an actor's strike does come to an end in the near future, the resumed production and post-production of such films rely heavily on thespians. And let's just be clear before we move on, okay? There's a real trend in the more conservative, venomous channels of America to be very anti-union and suppress the uh, hard-fought rights because it's all about rights and respect and doing the right thing by people who work for a living that we fought for for a long time in this country, and they just want to basically use greed as an excuse to posit a counter-reality that's wrong. And uh, all of Hollywood and uh, many other important occupations rely on the membership and talent that belonging to a guild or a union stand for. Undermining that is wrong. Undermining that is under-American. And uh, people who have that mindset really need to rethink their values. Moving on. Uncle Jim, what you got? Well, uh, I, You're here. How, You're here. How can I follow that up? I, wow. Yeah, Paul's absolutely right, by the way. I'm, I'm a member. I'm the president of the local VSCA chapter right here in Rutland, so... Yeah, Thank I'm you, a Jim. Member Thank my you. Entire life. So, yeah, unions are very important, and we need them now more than ever. So, I, in fact, the reason why we are in the problem that we currently are in right now is because so many unions have been busted, and the opinions of unions have been driven down that they really don't exist as much as they should have, and for that reason. The American workers are making much less than they should be making. And that's why I think we're at this tipping point where we're all right now. The auto strike, the auto workers were on strike, the Screen Actors Guild, the Writers Guild. There's been a lot of strikes because we're at that tipping point where greed is winning out. And these people take all the money and they don't want to give it up. So unions are very important and you should definitely support your local union. Um, Thank you, Jim. And I... I say that proudly as the president of the Rutland chapter of the Vermont, of the VSCA. So there you have it. All right. So in the vein of Halloween, there's a little, uh, I think most people are aware of this little, little fact, but you would be surprised at how many Star Trek fans, how many people are getting into Star Trek now, whether it's through Prodigy, Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds. And we take a lot of these things for granted because, Oh, everybody knows that, but they don't. So we have to 
you know, you have to step back from time to time and realize that, you know, there's a lot of new Star Trek fans out there and we have to give them the opportunity to enjoy Star Trek and learn just like we did. So this next story um, might seem like an old one to you guys, but it is the Halloween season, so I wanted to throw it in there. Halloween movies have a bizarre connection to Star Trek. And in 1978, John Carpenter's Halloween introduced Michael Myers. And from there, he quickly became one of the slasher genre's most iconic figures. But the most recognizable piece of the character's trademark look came from the most unlikely of places. The original film was made with a meager budget, which meant the crew had to get creative with many aspects of the film, including Michael Myers' mask. An interview with director John Carpenter, Michael's signature pale mask was created by painting a cheap Captain Kirk mask. Carpenter said, quote, my art director, Tommy Lee Wallace, found the mask up at Burt Wheeler's magic shop on Hollywood Boulevard. It was a Captain Kirk mask. However, the mask wasn't from Shatner's cast during his time as the captain of the USS Enterprise. This is a part of the story I was not aware of, so you learn something new every day. Instead, it was created from a mold of him when he was in the film The Devil's Reign, another horror film that has since reached cult status. In the film, Mark Preston, played by William Shatner, undergoes a ritual in which a dark entity possesses him. His face goes through a metamorphosis that would become the template used to create multiple Captain Kirk masks, such as the one Wallace found. Shatner has remained a great sport about his face being used in the film. He even wore the Michael Myers mask when trick-or-treating with his kids in the past. Quote, when my kids were younger and they'd go trick-or-treating and I would go with them, I would wear the mask. So there's a little little tidbit to tie Halloween into Star Trek because it's the Halloween season. All right, David, you've got our next story, buddy. Woohoo! Can you guys hear me? Nope. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Carry on. Good oh, friend. Can can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> okay. Sorry, this thing's confusing. It says mute, but then it says unmute, and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out which one it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, back to uh, segments here. Looks like uh, I got something off for the, uh, what is this, the IDWs? Okay, here we go. Cisco sets off on a new adventure in Star Trek number 13. Following the end of the big day, a blood crossover event in IW. IDW's ongoing Star Trek series begins a new storyline titled A Savage World of Glass and Bone. Colin Cully and Jackson Langine continue writing the series with Marvel and DC artist Marcus uh, to joining for the new arc. <clears throat> Captain Benjamin Sisko's quest to defeat the killer of God is at an end. And the prophets beckon him home to the celestial temple, who's earned his rest. But when Starfleet requests his help to stop a familiar foe, the Tazinski coalition from launching the largest fleet in their history, Cisco and the Theus, the Theus, Theus, 
Theseus. Theseus. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Crew set out once again to save the galaxy. But there's a reason the species of spiritually rich reptilian lizard birds has twice defeated Starfleet in battle. They're xenophobic, ruthless, and innovative and confronting them on their home turf. A planet thought to be in to be an organism itself is as good as death good as a death sentence as any. Oh, sorry for butchering that whole paragraph, but oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, Star Trek number thirteen arrived on October twenty fifth, which apparently I at this year or next year. I just arrived last week. Okay, cool. So this is old news. <laughs> yeah. Volume one collection out now. Volume two coming next month. IDW's first collection from the Star Trek series was released on July 18th. Volume 1, titled God Shock, uh, collects the first six issues from the series. You can order Volume 1 in hardcover from Amazon for $20.07 or... Seven dollars and twenty-eight cents. Damn it! I've only got twenty dollars and six. Ah, so close. <laughs> An ebook and Kindle. <laughs> uh, the second volume, titled "The Red Path," collects issues seven to ten and will be released on November twenty-first next year or this year. No, kidding. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you can pre-order volume two in hardcover from Amazon for twenty-four ninety-nine or seven thirty-seven. For ebook and Kindle. Okay. Well, I don't know much about these uh, comics, but they seem interesting. So I don't know. I might start collecting them now. <laughs> Where do they come up with these prices? Seven thirty-seven. Weird. Weird. Well, the Kindle price is always a certain percentage of the other price, and it fluctuates based on market demand. Is the real answer? Yeah, we have no union. Remember? Yeah. That's true. Very true. <laughs> Well, guys, right. guess what? we wrapped no. up another show. We made it. No, we, we did. We made it. It's true. We made it another show. So uh, we'll be back with you guys, same bat time, same bat channel next week, and we'll be talking about the finale of Strange New Worlds. Uh, Lord X. We will? <laughs> yeah, that's Lord very X. interesting. Oh, that I'm looking I'm forward to. Yeah, there we go. Wait, I thought we were talking about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, Star Wars. I was waiting back. for someone That's what we're to jump about. in there. And no one jumped <laughs> in there, so yeah, we'll be talking about the, the season of Star Trek Lower Decks next week. So even though it's not tonight, we still have a week to revel in our new Star Trek enjoyment. So before we do that, though, I want to say thank you so much to our very own Paul for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you. Thanks, man. Uh, we were we had fun tonight, I think. It was a good show. I think so. We also want to say thank you to our very own Eric for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you, Eric. You better believe it. Uh, proof positive that a bunch of frisky old men can still have fun together. <laughs> <laughs> Even without the jippers on the beach. <laughs> and thank you so much to David for hanging out with us, even though he forgot the donuts. Thank you, David. Oh, trust me, I ate a donut. Oh my goodness, it was oh, an apple. A good donut. An apple filling uh, fritter bar. Ooh. Oh man, wow. And of course, thank you so much to our very own Charles for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you, Charles. 
Oh, thank you. It's always fun. It is indeed. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying, remember, Star Trek fans are the best fans. Stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night, all. Good night, all. Warp out. Go get a donut. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Continuum. We are unable to get to the phone right now because we are busy living in a plane of existence your feeble mortal minds cannot possibly comprehend. Furthermore, it's pointless to leave a message because we, of course, already knew that you would call and we simply do not care. Have a nice day. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.